Uh, we are in a series talking about moving beyond useless faith, and we are going through the book of James, and uh, we've got today and then I think a few more weeks. So we've kind of been bouncing around a little bit in the book, um, but we are going to be uh, in chapter the end of chapter 4 today, and we're, we're just bouncing around a little bit just based on some of the different timing things. But, but today, what we're going to talk about is, is this here. We're going to talk about your calendar, or this is my calendar with everything cleared off of it, um, which is not what it looks like, but this is my, this is my calendar. Uh, we're going to talk about our calendars. Isn't, isn't it amazing, though, when you think about just these little blocks, and I don't know what you use, uh, whether it's Google or iCal or, or paper uh, or something, um, but isn't it just kind of amazing that these little blocks represent our lives? These little blocks and the things that go in there, the three or four things that end up in those blocks, that represents our lives. That represents really the entirety of our lives is these little blocks, these little things. It's our time. It's, it's, it's everything that we do. It's, 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 it's in a lot of ways who we become and what our plans are for the future and where we live and where we move and, and what we do for work and what we do for fun. That These little blocks represent our lives. And the average human, and I know you're not average, you're special, but the average human, um, this is something that Reebok did a few years ago, kind of this big campaign, but the average human lives 25,900, and I think that's either 45 or 15, 25,915 days. That's, that's how much the average human lives. That's how many days you have uh, if you want, when you're born. You, you don't have that many now, but that's how many. Uh, your, your clock is ticking. There's actually little clocks that you can, I did this, you can plug in like all sorts of, do you smoke or you know, how much do you exercise or drink? Or, and it tells you all, it just tells, here's your life expectancy. Here's your age. Here's when you're going to die. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Um, and uh, anyways, this is how many the average human has to live your life. This is how many days that you have. This is it. This is the counter on your life. And you might be, you might be half of that. You might only have a third of that left. Uh, who knows? Um, but this is how many days the average human lives. And this is really cool. This is kind of a, an, a, a life calendar that somebody developed. A life calendar where each of these uh, represents one week. And it doesn't go all the way down. It goes to probably about here. But this is a life calendar where each of these represents one week of your life. One week of your life. So this is your life. There it is. It's very colorful, very uh, 80s looking. And there's your life. That's it. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the different plans that we make for our life. Because we all have different plans. We have these little blocks that represent our lives that we call a calendar, or we can look at kind of a whole life scope and say, this is all the weeks of my life, or here's how many days I have in my life. But, but all of us have a certain amount of time, and we make plans with that. Some of us may make big plans. What's your five-year plan? What's your life plan? Some of you may make annual plans for what you're going to do in a certain year. Some of you may, maybe it's just plans for right after this, just plans for lunch, uh, plans for the weekend, plans for the month. But we all make certain kinds of plans in our life, do we not? And like I said, some of those are big and some of them small. It can just be where you're going to eat, but it's also things like, man, I think I'm going to get married at this point or have kids at this point or I want to move to this city or here's kind of some items on my bucket list or here's some life goals I have or I want to read this much or I want to lose this much weight or gain this much weight and be buff or whatever. You have certain goals that, that people have and certain plans 
that we have. And some of us are good at planning, right? Some of you probably go, man, I'm, I, I kill it at planning. I'm, I'm great. And some of us are really bad at planning. It's like a plan is a four-letter word that you don't like to hear, right? But all of us, I would say, and I would consider myself good at planning, but I think all of us don't really like planning, and it kind of stresses us out. Whether you're good at planning or bad at planning, and I'm not, that's not, it's not like you guys look like you're good and you guys look at your bad, but whether you're good at planning or bad at planning, we, most of us get stressed out about it, right? Most of us kind of feel the stress of, of planning and making plans. We feel the stress of planning and making plans. It's, it's hard to make plans. It's hard to make plans. And, and planning is hard because it's hard to sit down and think what's going to happen or what's next because we don't necessarily know. But it's hard to make plans. And it's also hard when our plans don't work out. Whether those are big things, if you said, man, at this point in life, I want to be here, or at this point in life, I want to be with this person, or at this point in life, I want to have this much income, or be in this position, or, or even just smaller things, that you had a kind of a plan in your day. I mean, probably you don't have to think that far back that something in this last week you had a plan for, and it, it didn't really work out the way you thought it would work out. Something kind of happened, and something didn't work out the way it was supposed to, and an appointment came up, or somebody canceled something, or you were going to do something, and we all have plans that we're making and it's difficult to make plans and it's also difficult because a lot of times our plans don't work out the way we want them to work out. James in this section that we are looking at is going to say that faith can help us in planning. Faith can help us in planning. It, It can help us with some of the difficulties that we have with planning and faith can help us actually make plans and faith can help us when our plans fail. And all of us make plans, and so I think it's important for us to listen to what does James have to say about planning? What does James have to say about our calendar? He says faith can help us. It can help us, it can help us make better plans and can help us even when we fail at our plans. And so we're going to look at a handful of things that James has to say about this. So let's read this together. This is James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Short passage. Here's what he says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow... We will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So he's talking about people that are making plans. Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such town. He's kind of making it really broad, right? Such and such town. He's making it really broad to just kind of say, hey, I'm I'm just talking about planning right now. and The different kinds of plans that people make. Today, tomorrow, we'll go into this town and you could replace that with other things. Today, I'll, I'll go to this school, for those of you that are applying for maybe grad programs or things like that, or today or tomorrow, I'll, I'll try to get this job, or today or tomorrow, I'll, I think I'm going to do this for vacation, or today or tomorrow, I'm going to work on uh, this part of my business, or today or tomorrow, I'm planning on getting this promotion, hopefully, in a couple of years, or today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such town and spend a year there and trade and, and make a profit. So he's talking about somebody making plans, yet... You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. So here's what James begins with. There's, there's problems in our planning. We, we make plans. We say we're going to go do this thing in such and such city in such and such place or we're going to work on this thing or what, whatever it kind of is. With planning, there's often problems and, and we feel the different stresses of it. And here's two things that James says lead to problems in our planning. The first is that we have limited knowledge. He says, look, you're making these plans today or tomorrow. I'm going to do this. But then he says, look, you don't know. 
And isn't that the reality? I mean, we do not know. We can make plans. But James says, here's kind of the first problem in our planning. We have limited knowledge. We might have a life timeline, right? You might have a life timeline. For most people, kind of the life timeline looks something like born. And you, well, everyone that looks like that. But you're born. Then you go to school for whatever, 18, 20 years of your life, basically. Or, or how, like 23 years of your life. That crazy? Basically, that's all life is. You you basically get potty trained, and then for 22 more years, school, and that's kind of easy to plan. It's just okay, school, poop, and know how to poop, and then go to school. That's the two top goals for the first 23 years of your life. Then, when that's done, most people get a job. They get a job doing something. Then you kind of you're starting to live an adult life, and then there's certain benchmarks that a lot of people kind of hit. Not everybody follows this, obviously. But usually it's something like, I feel like most people's life, it's kind of get a car. That's kind of one of the big first things that happen. you got a car. Then a lot of people, it's get a couch. That's kind of one of the next things, right? I remember my wife and I, we finally bought a couch that wasn't from Craigslist and didn't have a giant dip in it, you know? It's like, no, the dip's cool. It's comfortable. Uh, But you get a couch, then probably a house. That's kind of one of the next big markers. And people usually get a house to prepare for kids, and then, oh, I guess there's marriage usually somewhere in there. Not, uh, somewhere between the couch and the kids, there's marriage. Um, then you get kids. And then really after that, it's poop in school again for them. And then it's retirement. And that's basically, that's basically the plan that people have kind of marked out, right? That's kind of the life timeline. And uh, isn't it true, though, a lot of unexpected things happen in between that? Isn't it true that a lot of unexpected things happen in between there? I mean, it's true that just in your last week, probably unexpected things happen. But isn't it true that between, between the time that you start making plans and between stuff that you thought was going to happen, when you were going to get the promotion, when you were going to get the job, when you were going to have kids, a lot of unexpected stuff happens that we don't plan. James says this is one of the problems that kind of happens in our planning is we have limited knowledge. Nobody's planning on getting sick. But some of you have gotten really sick and it's changed the course of your life. Nobody's planning on, I'm probably going to get fired. And nobody's planning on that, or I'm probably going to get laid off. No, No one's planning on that, but it happens and it changes the course of your life. Nobody's planning on getting divorced, but that happens and it changes the course of your life. Nobody's planning on infertility or miscarriages, but it happens and it changes the course of your life. Nobody's planning on unexpected death of somebody close to them, but it happens and it changes the course of your life. And, and nobody's planning just on kind of run-in-the-mill frustrations, but they happen. Nobody's planning on that person not showing up to the meeting or, or, that, or, or that package not coming when it was supposed to arrive or the computer crashing right when you were working on Like Nobody's planning on those things, but they happen. And James says, look, one of the problems in our planning is just that we have, if we're honest, limited knowledge when it comes to kids and family and money and work and tra- I mean specifically he's talking about work travel right some of you I mean it's funny I, did, I haven't preached the last two weeks and even in the last two weeks I mean I've talked to different people that just in the last couple of weeks as I was had this in my mind of things that they were working on planning on that didn't happen cancellations and sickness and all sorts of different things and what ends up happening then here's the problem that creates we feel frustrated right a lot of times maybe you're somebody that's often irritable and frustrated just kind of on edge because it's like, man, none of the stuff that I work on, none of the stuff that I do ever seems to kind of work out. So we can feel on edge. We can feel frustrated. Sometimes we can just feel this useless. We can just feel, man, it's just kind of useless. Why even make a plan? Because none of the stuff that I do ever really works out. 
I'm, I'm trying to make plans. I'm trying to be intentional. I'm trying to plan for my future, but nothing really works out. A lot of us can feel that way, so we kind of just throw up our hands, or, or sometimes we, we just kind of stress out. Stress out because, man, we know we have limited knowledge. Isn't this a lot what anxiety is? We know we have limited knowledge. We don't know what's going to happen, and so we, we freak out. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen when I sit down and talk with them. I don't know what's going to happen with that promotion. I don't know if I'm going to get it. I don't know if this is going to, I don't know if we're going to be able to have kids. I don't know if he's going to like me when I show up or she's going to like me when I show up to, you know, my blind date or whatever, whatever, apply it to whatever you want to. Um, We get anxious. Isn't that what a lot of what anxiety is? I feel like we're one of the most anxious, and I don't mean us in this room, but we as a people are one of the most anxious people in this culture that have ever existed. Just because we know, man, I've got limited knowledge, and it freaks us out. I don't know what's going to happen. So James says, look, here's one of the problems. You're making plans, and then he says, but you do not know. You do not know. And we just got to be honest with that and say, that's real. Man, I don't know. I can make a plan, but I don't know. That's the first problem. Second thing that James says is we all have limited time. We all have limited time. James says, you're a miss. What is your life? James isn't a life coach, okay? So he says, what is your life? You're a miss. You're just a miss. What's a miss? I mean, it's something that you, if you think whatever you want to think about, I mean, you can think about like smoking a cigarette or you can think about um, kind of uh, like a spray bottle or something, but it kind of, it comes out and then just kind of dissipates, right? It's just like a smoke, a vapor. It's there and you can see it and it's really tangible, but then it just, just fades and it's gone. And James says, what is your life? You're a miss. And that's really getting at the idea that we just have limited time that you and I we might think we have 25,915 days or whatever Reebok said that we have that we should buy their shoes or what I don't know what the point of it was but we might we might think man I've got this much time but and even if we live that long that still is a really limited amount of time or we might live 14,000 days or we might live 20,000 days we don't we don't know and James says look you don't know you've got limited knowledge and you have limited time we're missed. What is your life? You're, you're missed, James says. And, and this is getting at the fact, and this is something that we feel all the time, that there's just not enough time. I mean, don't most of you probably just feel busy? Don't you just feel busy? You feel like, man, there's not enough time. There's things I want to do, and I don't have the time to do it. And, and it's not like I've got 300 years to live where I can say, hey, yeah, I can get you on the calendar 30 years from now. It's going to be great. I've got a spot for you. It's not like you can say, man, I've got all these travel plans. I, I mean, you've got, and we know this, a limited amount of time. You, you might have goals to start a business. You might have goals to be a good father, a good mother, or, or whatever it is. You, you might have these goals, but we all know we've got a limited amount of time. Limited amount of time. We know, we feel, we don't use the language probably of, man, I, I feel so misty today. Like, we don't say that, but we feel busy, right? And it's the same thing. Misty and busy is the same thing. It's just to say, man, I don't have very much time. I don't have very much time. And this is where a lot of the conversation that we talk about around balance comes in, right? That we really want to try to balance because we know, man, I don't have a lot of time. And so how can I balance all the different things that I have going on. 
And this is something I was reading, you know, millennials, if you're, I think the cutoff is like 36 or something. If, 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 you, um, if, if you're a millennial, this is even true, more true for millennials. They feel this pressure. Because the millennial generation really wants to have kind of just freedom, right? I want to work from home. I want to be able to take every Friday off. I want to work four tens or four fours or whatever, and that's it. And just be able to chill, right? I want, I want freedom in my life and, and to be able to have that. And yet, at the same time, at the same time, because of technology, we're constantly connected. There was an article I was reading talking about this. This is a very encouraging headline. Work-life balance becoming unattainable goal for millennials. And here's this guy, like, driving a yacht, you know, like all you millennials have, right? And so work-life balance becoming unattainable goal for millennials. And it was talking about exactly what I was just saying, that, man, we want this freedom because we want to have this ever-elusive balance in our lives because we know we don't have that time. We know life is a miss, so we want to be able to not spend it all working. But the problem is, because of technology, we're connected. I mean, when's the last time you truly just shut your phone off totally for at least 24 hours? When's the last time that, that you went on vacation and didn't check your work email, didn't text your boss at all? Or if you are the boss, didn't text, you know, to check in, see what's going on. Like, it's hard. The millennials want this freedom. They want to be able to work from home or do this or that. But, but it's unattainable because we're constantly connected. And, and my point with this is just to say, James says, one of the problems with making our plans is that we have limited knowledge. But another big problem we have is we just have limited time. Life's a mist. So we have all this language for that. We feel all this pressure for that of, man, I I need balance or how do I juggle? That's another big thing. We talk about juggling, right? Juggling, the word juggling has seen an upsurge in usage since the Ringling Brother days where we talk about, man, how do I juggle all of this? How do I juggle family and work? And how do I be a a good friend? And how do I be a Christian? And how do I uh, be a mother and a father? And how do I be a good employee? Or how do I pursue my goals? Or how do I pursue my travel plans that I have? Or how 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 do I juggle all these different priorities? It's a big thing that we feel. Again, it's about mist, that there's just limited time, limited time that we have. So we feel busy. We feel maybe continually overwhelmed. Just, if, if, man, if, if you know the reality that you're a mist, that can feel overwhelming sometimes because there's so much to do in so little time. Or maybe you feel like a failure. Man, I can never quite do good enough at whatever the thing is because there's so many competing balls that I'm juggling. Or, or maybe you just check out. Maybe just check out. I think that's... I think there's probably some sort of correlation. I haven't read anything on this, but there's probably some sort of correlation between the rise in pajamas and Netflix and between being super busy and connected all the time. There's probably some graph that someone could show where those are on the same trajectory. Because part of our response to, man, I'm a mist, is I don't even want to think about it. I just need to check out. I can't think about all the priorities. I can't think about all the juggling. I can't think about all the overwhelming things are. I just need pajamas. I just need Netflix, whatever, or something, some sort of checking out. Or maybe it's just you're, you're kind of, man, you're just running at 100 miles an hour. You, you're trying to fight against the reality that you're a mist. Like, we have limited time, and our life is a mist, and so... Man, some of us, maybe we're just like running on all cylinders and feeling another word that's very popular, burnout. 
that we're just like, man, I just, I'm going to fight against the reality that I'm a mist. I'm going to go, go, go. And so we feel, we feel it, even in our bodies and our headaches and, I mean, all sick, getting sick all the time. We're just feeling like, man, I can't be a mist. I've got to be able to do it all. Now, here, here, here's, a, here's a James, because none of, none of what I just said is explicitly Christian. Uh, James mentions those things, but you can find them on Forbes or you can find them on wherever. I mean, we, people just know this, right? We've got limited time. We've got limited knowledge. None of that is explicitly Christian. Our culture talks about those things all the time, and it's true. But what James gives us an insight into, if this is what planning is for us, if this is what planning is for us, if this is what planning feels like for us, either, either the kind of, man, I, I, I'm anxious because I've got limited knowledge, or because I have limited time, I'm continually busy, continually overwhelmed. I know I'm a mist, but man, I'm just kind of continually feeling the pressure of that. If, if that's what planning is for us, if those are some of the symptoms, if those are some of the effects in our lives of planning, if that's what it is for us, James says, you know what, there's actually a deeper problem. As James paints this scenario of somebody making plans, and the plans are not bad, they're, they're just making plans to go to this place and do that and and just do business. I mean, he's, he's not talking about anything that's sinful, but he, he addresses the heart underneath it. He says all of this planning is evil because it's arrogance and it's boasting. He says all of this planning is evil because underneath the core problem is we forget God. We forget God in our planning. We make our schedules, we make our plans, we make our goals, we make our calendars, we make all these things and we forget God, James said. But underneath there's a, a boasting, underneath there's an arrogance that lives our life not thinking about God. Think about your calendar. Think about your calendar, think about your plans and how often, honestly, how often do you go, I'm thinking about God when I make my plans. I'm thinking about God when I, when I build my schedule. I'm thinking about God when I build my week. James says this is one of our core issues in planning, and this is really where a lot of the problems come from. He says, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. James says, you want to know something evil? It's not just killing and cheating and adultery and and, and genocide or whatever other things you might think of that are evil, that word, it's a powerful word, right? James says, you know what's evil? Building your schedule, making your plans, filling out those little boxes on your calendar. You know what's evil? E evil? Logging into Google and filling out your calendar for the week and not thinking of God. That's what James says is evil. See, he says one of the the, the underneath our limited knowledge, underneath our limited time and the, the problems that that creates and the effects that it has as we forget God. We know this is true, right? I mean, a lot of us make plans for things and there's some sort of compass that we have for our plan. Some sort of compass, like how can I get this much money? And so a lot of the different plans we make move towards that. Or it might be, man, how do I kind of build a good life for my family? And a lot of our plans that we make, where we live, what schools we choose, what, it's, it's moving towards that. Or it might just be a comfortable life. And so a lot of the plans that we choose, what job I have, where I'm going to live, 
what neighborhood I want to be in. It's, it's moving towards that as the compass. A lot of us have a compass on our plans, right? A lot of us have some sort of compass on our plans, some sort of thing that we do actually think about the weeks or the months or the goals at least. Maybe you don't do it on such a micro level, but, it, but at least the, the big things. There is, for a lot of us, some sort of compass that we are building plans towards. I want to start this business. I want to be able to travel to, to Rome or to, uh, what's the cool place that a lot of millennials are going now? Somewhere like in Iceland or something. I, you know, I want to go to Iceland or whatever. You know it's true. Some of you are like, oh, how do you know? I know. <clears throat> it looks really cool. So I'm going to go to Iceland or whatever. And, and a lot of plans of these are my saving goals. These are the things I'm working towards. We have a compass, a lot of us, that we're working towards. And James says, you, you want to know, know one of the core problems? You want to know what evil is? It's actually thinking through your life and forgetting God when it comes to the boxes on the calendar, when it comes to the schedule, when it comes to the plans. See, for so many of us, what happens is we build our lives, we build our plans, we build our schedules, we fill in the boxes, and then, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, then you go, okay, how do I fit God in here? After we've built the plans and the schedules and the calendar, how do I fit God in? And, and you know what happens? We go, man, it's so hard to find time to read my Bible. It's so hard to find time to hang out and go to community group so hard to find time to spend with people that don't know Jesus. It's, it's so hard to find time to love and serve people. It's so hard to find time to, to serve or whatever, whatever it might be. It's so hard to find time. And, and what we mean is it's because I've built my calendar. I've built my schedule. And now I'm trying to see where I can put God in. And here's the reality. You can't. I mean, you can't. It's impossible. We can't build our lives forgetting God. We can't build our lives living in reality as if God is separate and that's the starting point and then go, okay, i got to find where God can be a part of this. We can't do it. It's impossible. And this is why James uses such strong language even to say it's evil because it's a life. Your, life, your schedule, your plans, your calendar is your life. Those little boxes, that is your life you got 25,000 of those little boxes, but that's your life. And so if you build your life forgetting God, if you build your life with some other compass, James says it's evil because you're living as if there isn't a God that doesn't want to speak into that. So, so why are there problems in our planning? Here's what James says. We've got limited knowledge. We do not know what's going to happen. And we have limited time. We're missed. We have limited knowledge and we have limited time. And if we live life forgetting God, boasting in our arrogance, if we live life forgetting God, we feel the effects of that. We feel the effects of anxiety and overwhelmed and busy and pressure and stressed and burned out. If we live life forgetting God, we begin to feel the effects of that. So how does faith help us with our planning? Because what the whole premise of this series and really what James is talking about throughout this whole book is he wants us to have a faith that actually affects our life. So how does faith help us with our planning? And here's what James says. Here's kind of the setup. He says, instead, so instead of we should go to this place, this place, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. Now, let me just point this out just in case you, you need to hear this. James doesn't say, instead, don't make any plans. 
Instead, hit the delete button, get rid of Google, and just live free-flowing. He doesn't say that. He actually says you should make plans. You should say, if the Lord wills, and then he says, we will do this or that. That's the planning. So James doesn't condemn planning. He doesn't say that planning is bad. It's the heart underneath that he was talking about of forgetting God. He says, instead, here's what we should do, if the Lord wills. Instead, the approach to our plan, the approach to our calendar, the approach to our goals, the approach to our schedule, the approach to Monday. Don't make this just kind of my life because we can't give our life to God if we don't give our Monday to God. So don't just think my, my life because James says tomorrow we'll do this or that. I mean, it's, it's really ground level. He says instead, here's what the approach should be. If the Lord wills. Now, let me say what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean just use those words as some sort of mantra. It doesn't mean that any plan that you make, you have to say, if the Lord wills. What would you like to eat, sir? The tacos, if the Lord wills. You don't have to say that. Will you marry me, if the Lord wills? Yes, I will. And you don't have to do that, right? You don't want people to do that for you. You don't want your babysitter to say, I'll be there at 6 if the Lord wills, right? You say, I don't care what the Lord says. I'm saying, be there at 6, right? You, you don't, it doesn't, it's not just like words that you utter, that you're supposed to tack on to everything. I mean, there's no way we could do that, right? There's no way, like, that we could ever always say in any plan we make, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills. If, and, and that's not what James is trying. He doesn't want you to just use a bunch of religious language. It's the heart that James is talking about. Because the issue was the boasting and the arrogance that builds a life, that builds a schedule, that builds plans and forgets God. The opposite approach is to approach life with a heart that says it belongs to God. It's an approach that says, God, I am submitting my life to you. That I'm going to do this and I'm going to work on this if you will. It's to surrender. This is the starting place. It's a different kind of approach to life. Instead of trying to fit God in to whatever blocks of time there are left, instead of to fit God in into whatever space, into whatever hour, into whatever 10 minutes is left, which isn't, I mean, think, just be, like, think about, this is so 2018. James is so, you know, ahead of his time. Like, don't we just build our whole calendars and our lives? And, I mean, even just this, like, how many of you would have on your calendar, uh, read your Bible? Probably, it's very rare. I mean, some of you may have that, but it's, it would be very rare to do that. And I'm not saying that's the only application. I'm just saying that think about how rare that we would go, well, I wouldn't do that. I got to do it when I have the time to do it. It's just those kinds of things that James says, look, here's a different approach to life that you actually bring your life, you bring your calendar, you bring the blocks of time, you bring those days, you bring, you bring all of it to God and say, God, it's yours. That's a different approach. It's to say, my life belongs to God. My life is his, and he's the starting point. He's the compass. He's what I begin to work towards, that we give it all to him. I mean, how many of you have looked at the weeks of your life and said, God, this is yours, no conditions? How many of you have done that? How many of you really have said, God, here's my, here's my life, there it is. It's, here's, here's week one and two, and here, here it is. My week, God, is yours. No conditions. 
Doesn't that even feel scary to say that? Doesn't that even sort of feel like, yeah, but what about, and I don't know if I'd have time for, that's what James is talking about. It's an approach to life that says, God, it's yours. You are the Lord. You are the king. You are the God. And so here's all the blocks of my life. It's yours. This is the starting place that James says we need to have. I just wonder what our lives would look like if that is what our approach was. I want you, I don't want anyone to raise their hands or anything like that, but I want you just to answer this question just with a yes or no in your mind. Have you taken your schedule and said, God, this is yours, whatever you want it to be, no conditions? If you haven't, if the answer in your mind and just honesty with yourself is no. James says that's the starting point. The starting point is to approach life saying, if you will, if you will. It doesn't mean all plans are bad. It doesn't mean anything like that. It just means we start with saying, God, it's your will that matters. So I would just encourage you, man, if the answer to that is no, to, to really just do that. Go home and if you've got a paper calendar, if you're 90 years old, take out that paper calendar and say, God, this is yours. I'm just joking. If, if you've got a, you know, a phone, pull up the calendar app and just say, God, this belongs to you. This is yours. James says that's the, that's the starting place. It's surrender. And here's what that does. Here's what that creates. Here's how faith begins to then help our planning. Here, here's the effect that that has, because it's, it's beautiful what it actually does. See, we have limited knowledge and we have limited time, and if we forget God, the effects of that are anxiety and stress and burnout and frustration and all that. But here's what happens if our approach is, if the Lord wills. It creates, it creates, first of all, it creates two things. It creates peace. It creates peace because a lot of our plans don't work, as we said. A lot of our plans, a lot of your, a lot of my plans, man, they don't work. I love to make plans, and they don't work. And a lot of your plans, they don't work. A lot of our plans don't work, but, but if we have this approach, it creates peace because we know he's in control. We know he's in control, and if he's the compass, if he's the thing that our plans are actually building towards and moving towards, if he's actually the one there, if he's actually what we're desiring to build our life around, when stuff crumbles, when stuff doesn't work out the way that we wanted it to work out, when stuff, we say, okay, that, man, that might suck, but it doesn't crush us because we're not, this hasn't changed. But if comfort or if a certain financial goal or certain promotion at work or a spouse or, or, or kids or something is up here, that's the compass, then when, when that doesn't work out, we feel crushed. But if God, in building our life to honor him and say, God, whatever you want, if that's up there, if that's the compass, then no matter whatever detours life takes or whatever doesn't work out, we're not crushed because the compass has still not been affected. But anything else in that place, we have those effects of anxiety. What if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't happen? We have those effects of irritability and frustration, and it's useless because we're, we feel like we're obstructed from getting to this. But if, God, if honoring God is there, if giving our life to him is there, that's, that, that never has to be obstructed. No circumstance in life can, can detour us from that. So it, what it does, if this is our approach to planning, is it creates peace. 
creates peace. Because we know he's in control. And if he's the compass that our life is actually building towards, we, we never have to detour from that. So here's what this means. When your plans for your life don't work out, when your plans for your kids don't work out, when your plans for your health don't work out, when your plans for your job don't work out, when your plans for your house or your financial portfolio don't work out, when it doesn't work out, you can know that God cares, that God's in control, that God is present, God is working, and it creates a peace. It doesn't mean we stop planning. We can continue to plan, but there's just a greater peace about it where things not working. And there's a greater peace about having to achieve so we don't sacrifice things to get to our goals. And I, and I don't mean you shouldn't ever sacrifice for your goals, but sacrifice important things for your goals. It means we don't say, I'm going to get here, but man, I got I to put my kids aside for a while. Or I'm going to get here, but I got to put my spouse aside for a while. I'm going to get here, but I got to put God aside for a while. It means we live with peace. We're not stressed out. We're not burned out. We're living with peace when we have the approach, if the Lord wills. And, and then secondly, it does this. It creates a better sense of purpose. See, we have limited knowledge, but if we approach it with, if the Lord wills, we have peace. And we have limited time, but if we approach it, if the Lord wills, it creates purpose. Because all of us are busy, but that doesn't mean wise. It doesn't mean healthy. It doesn't mean intentional. It doesn't actually mean using our life for what it should be used for. And one of the things I think our culture does really well is talks about the quickness of life. I think our culture and songs and slogans, whether it's, you know, I mean, a long time ago, like three years ago, it was YOLO or whatever, but there's, there's also things of just like, man, seize the day or make the most of your life. And you can see it in all sorts of advertising. You know, it can be a super emotional, your life matters, drink a Coke, you know, it does, like whatever it is, it's, it's you've got one life to have a Corona or whatever, you know, it's just, there's all sorts of advertising and, and uh, songs and a lot of stuff that talks about life is quick, it's short, it's a mist. So a lot of our culture gets that right. But the responses are usually two things that end up leading us to the place of, again, kind of the feeling of frustration and burnout and overwhelm. The responses are either, therefore, you need to soak it up, live it up, enjoy it while you can, get yours, get it now, have as much fun, enjoy your life as much as you can on this earth because this is all there is. And what does that do? It creates... FOMO, the fear of missing out of like, man, I, I don't know. I, what about this thing? What about that thing? What about oh, crap? I don't because we want to soak up as much as we can. And so as silly as the word FOMO is, a lot of you feel that, right? Like, man, I, I want to do this thing, but I want to do that thing. I want to do this thing. I want to do that thing. What about this? I want to go there. I want to and, and feel that uh, because we've been told life is short. It's a mist. Better enjoy every last second of it that you can. Creates tension. Or, probably a little more honorable is, hey, make a difference. Make an impact. Change the world. What does that do? Now, like many millennials, I feel like I've lived under the tyranny of purpose. Like, man, I've got to, I've got to change the world. 
You are, you've been told your whole life, you are special, you are awesome, you're a change maker, you're a, you're a world changer, you're the best, you, you will, the world will never be the same because of you. And that creates pressure of, man, I better live with purpose, I better make a difference, I better make an impact, I better leave a legacy. Because life is short. But you know what? If the Lord wills does, man, it changes both those things. James says, here, here, I'll just read his words. What he says is, whoever knows, this is at the end of this, so this is connected to this. This isn't just like a separate thought. He says, so, who, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it's sin. See, what James says is, you want to know what the most freeing thing can actually be? One of the most freeing things is to be a mist. One of the most freeing things that you can admit in your life is, I'm a mist. I'm a mist. My life's going to go quick. I don't know. I've got limited knowledge, but it's okay because I know God's in control. And I've got limited time. I'm a mist. But you know what the application then is that? It's not so therefore make a difference or soak it up and enjoy everything you can. You know what James says the application is? It's just simple obedience. He says, whoever knows the right, the good that God has told them to do, if you don't do that, it's sin. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, man, part of just living your life, instead of living under the tyranny of either purpose or you've got to enjoy every moment, is what has God told you to do? And do that. You're a mist. Life is so quick. So then what? Soak it all up or make sure you leave a legacy? No, James says, here's what it is. Just obey what God says. It's really simple. He says, what's the good that God has called you to do? Do that. Whoever knows the good, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it's sin. This is also a good and helpful definition of sin because a lot of times we think of sin as just the things that we do. I hit this person or I uh, hit this person's car and ran away and I shouldn't have done that or I cheated or I lied or I, I, I did something. But James says, in the context of this conversation, it's helpful to also know. You know what sin is? It's the things that God says, I want you to do, I want you to love this person. I want you to serve this person. I want you not to just don't kill anybody. I want you to love people. I want you not to just not cheat people. I want you to serve people. I want you not to just not be really mean. I want you to be kind and proactively loving. He says, what do you do when you know that your life is a miss? You, you know what this does? It creates a deeper sense and a more um, attainable sense of purpose. To be able to say, here's what my life should be about since it's a miss, since I have limited time. It should just be about what does God say and then obey him. Love my neighbor and be generous and serve people and do the things that God has said to do. It's the most spring thing. To be a mist. I'm not, look, if, if you try, if you want to make a big difference in the world, and I'm not saying don't make a difference. That's not the point. The point is just to say, man, that can be, this, this is my life has to be the thing. I've got to be remembered. Or instead to just be able to go, man, I can just focus on what God says for me to do. I can give him my life and it will create deeper peace and deeper purpose. Imagine living with 
Imagine making your plans still, making your plans, you're, you're, you're working, you're, 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 you're planned out, you've got your calendar, whatever. You're, you're making plans, but you really have an approach that says, God, this really does belong to you. And you really are in control. And, and, I, really, and, and, and I really do want it just to be for you. That creates so much peace. There's so much freedom. And it creates so much purpose because you know even the little things that you are doing, even if you're not soaking up every moment, even if you weren't invited to this thing, even if you missed out on this opportunity, even if you're not changing the world, there's still a greater sense of purpose because it's just, I'm obeying what God has said to do. Imagine being able to live like that, not frustrated that our plans aren't working out, not overwhelmed, not too busy, not always feeling like you have to juggle, not always feeling, man, I need balance, but just being able to go, okay, God, here's my schedule, here's my calendar, and it belongs to you, and you're in control, and I'm going to obey you. I want, I want to live like that. Man, this, this is hard, right? I want to live like that. I want our community to live like that, to feel like that. And, and here's the last thing I'll close with is, is how can we have this approach to planning? Because that's hard. I know even when I was saying, man, how many of you have actually said, here's my schedule, God, I give it to you. I surrender it to you. It's yours. And that's hard. Like, it's hard, and even if you don't feel like that's hard, think about the times that you've been anxious or really frustrated when things didn't, didn't work out. I mean, those are all the symptoms of going, it's hard to actually say, if the Lord wills, and to live in that approach, in that posture. That's hard, because it's hard to surrender our lives to God. Sometimes it's easier, actually, to give our money to God than it is to give our calendar to God. It's hard to do that. So how, how can we have this approach to planning? How can we just surrender our lives to him. And, and here's really the key. It's hard to surrender to somebody that we don't trust. So you trust yourself. I trust myself. I've gotten myself through a lot of hard stuff, so I trust myself. And some of you are really competent. Some of you, man, are really successful, so you trust yourself. You got into the school and you shouldn't have gotten to it. You beat the odds and you started your business. You, you were able to get a a, 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 a wife or a husband way better than you were. You know, you beat the odds, right? And so you trust yourself. You trust yourself. It's hard to surrender if we don't trust. Uh, there's a miniseries on TV that just finished up about Waco. Um, and I remember this happening in the 90s. Some of you are older than me, so you remember it even better. But it was uh, um, basically kind of a compound of people that had some quirky religious believes, and there ended up being this huge kind of FBI standoff, okay? It's really interesting. You should watch it if you haven't. Uh, this huge FBI standoff to get them to come out, get them to come out, to get them to surrender. And the FBI negotiator, this gentleman here, uh, the FBI negotiator, FBI negotiator said, look, you can't get them to surrender because they don't trust you. They think that if they surrender and just walk out, you're going to kill them all. You can't get them to surrender. You can't get them to give up their lives because they don't trust you. You haven't given them reason to trust you. So you've got to be able to give them reason to trust us so then they will be willing to surrender and give their lives to us knowing that we have good in mind for them. This is the exact same principle that always works whenever we think about surrendering. And it's the same thing with us and God. See, we struggle to surrender our calendar or our life or our schedule or our goals or our plans to God. We, we struggle to do that because at the heart of it, at the core of it, we don't trust him. We wonder what the bad will be if we really did pray that prayer, God, my calendar's yours. 
we wonder what will happen. And see, Jesus has given us reason to be able to trust him. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to wonder like they did in Waco. What will happen if I surrender? Will he take my life? If I surrender, will they kill us? You see, we already know. We have great reason to surrender our lives to Jesus because he showed that he surrendered his life to us. We have great reason to come to God and say, I give you my schedule. I give you my plans. I give it all to you. We have great reason to trust him because he has already taken all of the control and all of the power that he has and done what with it? Use it to serve us. Use it to love us. Use it to take sinners that are far from him and bring them into his family. This is exactly what we remember when we take communion. We remember that God came down to this earth and surrendered himself to us and said, I want you to trust me. I want you to give me your life. But before I do that, I give you my life. I let my body be broken for you. I let my blood be shed for you. And then, yes, I ask you, come and follow me. Give me your calendar. Give me your schedule. But see, you can trust me. This is who I am. You don't have to wonder. So as we come and take communion, let us remember this and let us, let us surrender. Let us live our life if the Lord wills and give it to him and see what will happen. Pray with me and we will take communion and we will sing in response to this truth. Father, I thank you that you've given us reason to trust you. We don't have to wonder if you're good. We don't have to wonder if you're good, God. We don't have to wonder if what will happen if we give our life to you, if we surrender our week to you, if we surrender our plans to you. We don't have to wonder about that. You've already put the stamp and the seal of who you are on this world. You are God absolutely for us that has given your life to us, that's a king in control of all things, and yet has used that power to love and to serve people that once were enemies. God, I pray that you would take these truths and impress them deeper into our hearts, even as we sing and as we take communion. I pray this in your name, Jesus.